So we need to figure out how to do a better job of amplifying those really great ideas and teach people how to be more outspoken. So he and I talked afterwards and I was like, hey, I totally understood what you meant. If you would present it in this kind of capacity, it's going to come across more concrete and more bold where people are going to hear you. And so giving people that honest feedback, I think is really important too. Uh, Why did they hear you, but they didn't hear me? This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, HR Rebels. We are blessed to have a wonderful guest with us today, Dr. Claire Musselman. I had the pleasure of uh, watching her at Disrupt HR Cedar Valley rock the stage. Uh, We're going to be talking about all sorts of of amazing things today, everything from executive presence to leadership to her expertise, which is workers' compensation. Uh, She is the principal of CM Advising. She brings passion-filled purpose and energy with a dose of glitter and sparkles to risk management. She's also a leadership expert, keynote speaker, does all sorts of awesome things, and maybe most importantly, possesses the best LinkedIn handle that I've ever seen, Glitter and Sparkles. So check that out on LinkedIn, all you HR professionals. Claire, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kyle. I'm happy to be here. Well, I am I am super pumped to have you here. Uh, we just talked for like 30 minutes about all things pop culture. Um, and, uh, but you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work in like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or American Gladiator into the conversation, but I am going to do my best today. So just try and work in Lars. And I think Lars, Lars. is it Lars or laser? We never figured that out. I think they both have to look. It might be both. If there's any eighties kids out there that loved American gladiators and knows if there was a Lars or a laser, send me an email. Let's figure this out and let's settle this debate. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, I I really, again, I sincerely appreciate you spending some time with us and, and um, it's just been, been wonderful to follow some of your content on LinkedIn. And, and, you know, I, I just, I love your approach to, to the world of, of, of all the things that you're focused on, which is, which is a lot. Um, But I want to maybe start with, with just talking a little bit about, uh, the content that you shared at the Disrupt HR event, because I think it's going to be, you know, really, really important for many uh, listeners to this this podcast, and, and something that, quite frankly, many of us struggle with uh, at times, and that is really, really executive presence. So um, I, I think maybe I'll start with the first question: What inspired you to focus on that topic uh, for uh, Disrupt HR? Sure. So executive presence means. It's really meaningful to me because I had a CEO who, when he entered a room, everyone stopped and paid attention. Like you just knew when this gentleman walked into a room, the energy that he carried, the aura he had, the confidence that he had just captivated everyone. Everyone would turn and look, you didn't even have to physically see him walk into a room. You felt it. And I've never met somebody that had that type of executive presence before. And I had the opportunity to be personally coached by him because my leader at the time had ended up leaving and going to another job or another organization. And so he took me under his wing for a while and really helped coach me on this about what does that mean to like show up as your best self, to walk in with this type of confidence, to walk in, you know, unapologetically you, but doing so in a way that's there to benefit everyone else. 
Because in that moment, everyone that's in that room also feels seen, heard, acknowledged, and valued. And this CEO was just amazing. He ended up passing away in June of 2020. And it was a really sad moment for a lot of us because he had made such a big ripple effect to all of our lives. And so that was where I wanted to take that and run with it because that is something that nobody had ever sat down and spent time to teach me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, if everyone could crack this code into what that means, it's like, it's not about faking it till you make it because it's an energy and an aura. And it's like how you show up as your most, as your best self. I think that there's like an elegance that goes into it. And I think as we continue to move into a more digital age and a more tech space, the power of human connection and those pieces of when people are physically together are really, really, really important. And so I do, I like talking about this. I like writing about this topic. I love being in front of children the most when we talk about this because children need need the executive presence, even though you're not going to call it that with them. But it's something that you start innately giving people like almost a stage presence when they're little and help them grow through this. And people forget about it or they don't understand what's going to separate them apart from getting a leadership role or having that power and influence. And so the more that we can talk about it and really break it down and give these like cheat codes to people to help them take this and do what they will is the best way that I feel like I can honor uh, our former CEO's legacy and really help make people better by helping teaching them confidence in a different way, helping them show up in an unapologetic space, but also really taking that whole concept of faking it till you make it, but instead turning it into how do you own who you are and make something awesome happen with that? Because if you can't stand up, you can't stand for something if you don't know how to stand up for yourself and get people to buy in to whatever that is from an initiative to objectives for the year, to trying to look at social impact and responsibility, you know, social justice, all of these things that are flooding us right now with what's going on in the world. And how do you do that effectively? And all of that stems back to what kind of presence do you have when you enter a room to get people excited about what's coming next? I think that it's really it's a really powerful way to think about it. And for anybody that's, that's interested, we will put the link in the show notes so you can, you can check out the disrupt HR talk and, and, uh, and, and connect and, um, uh, definitely put the LinkedIn connection there. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I came up in this and and, and I was told fake it till you make it. Yeah. You know, from literally from my mother, by the way, who was like coaching me. Um, she was like a school to work coordinator. She was like coaching me how to be like a, like a, true corporate shill. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Yep. Until <laughs> you make it, here's here's how you dress professionally, here's what business casual yeah. means, you know, all these sorts of things. And and so many of us got that advice. Yes. Yes. So what is the what is the fallacy of of fake it till you make it? And how do we counteract it? Okay. So I think twofold. You want the fake it till you make it is really interesting because I think that there's twofold into this. We can dress for the part, like this is what business casual is, this is how you behave, et cetera. And there's an elegance. And I like the word elegance because it's not about being classy. It's not about being above the top. It's just holding yourself in a space that demonstrates elegance, which is a respect, not only for yourself, but for the people that are going to be around you. Now you can add your own flair and your own, like I always wear a statement necklace with dresses. Uh, it's kind of my, my tribute to RBG when she used to have the doily. Like, so I wear a big statement necklace. I think like everybody's got their thing, whatever that's going to be. Maybe it's a power color or whatever, but you can use that 
incorporate and, and incorporate it into how you're showing up as yourself. The reason that I don't think fake it till you make it truly works is because your energy tells people whether you know what you're doing or not. So, you know, if you really want to get a reality check, go spend some time with some, you know, children, whether they be elementary, middle school, high school, and you're going to get your ego checked real fast because they sense energy. And so that's where like, I think there is something to that. But then I think there's also these confidence codes that we can help cheat ourselves and help rewire our neural pathways in our brain to believe that we do know what we're doing. I hate the term imposter syndrome. We all know way more than what we think we do. And I, I, I don't buy it. I think it's a cop out and it's an, it's an excuse. I'm sure that is, uh, you know, not a, a fun thought for people to think of, but trust yourself. You know, way more than you think you do. It's what I say to people that are going to take on mentors and they're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't think I've done enough in my life to be a true mentor. And it's like, yeah, you have, you've made it to this far and you've failed a lot. And if you haven't learned through your failures, what are you really doing? But teach somebody else that so that they don't go down the same road again. Let them go down a different road because you were able to provide them some feedback about here's the pitfalls that I I absolutely ran through, tripped, fell, skinned my knee multiple times. So don't go this way, go this way. And we think about it from like those standpoints of how do you really embrace what you've learned in life so that you can take that with you and know that you truly do understand a lot more than you think you do. Absolutely. I think that's a, it's, it's a really powerful shift in thinking. Um, and you know, I'm guilty of, I used to tell people fake it till you make it right. You know, but it, oh, because, I have too. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess, yeah. you know, my, yeah. My other question on like that whole approach, if you're like, and I think it's really fascinating the, the whole world of like authenticity and like being yeah. yourself and, and psychological safety and some of the research behind, you know, why you have to be yourself at least it, to a certain extent or, or you'll burn out and those sorts of things. But I also think like, the fake it till you make it thing, like you are assuming that you know what others want you to act like in that context as well. And, right. and, you, and you're assimilating into a, a, an assumption, really, yep. right? Um, and much of those assumptions and like the, like the perception of what, you, what you're supposed to fake comes from the societal construct that has you know, been in existence, i.e., you know, who's, who's in power and, and how do they act? And so you should act like, you should act like Bob, you know, the, the 65 year old baby boomer, white guy, CEO, um, when in actuality, maybe your organization doesn't need you to be that way. Yeah. Um, but we've always done it this way, Kyle. We've always (laughs) done it this way. (laughs) Well, now you're talking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I think that there's like, when we take that whole, like, fake it till you make it, I think it's a lot more. So first of all, one of the most freeing things that I've ever had someone say to me was I was, had to reprimand somebody in a company at one point for just ill behavior. (laughs) And she said to me, you know what, Claire, it is none of your business what I think about you. I was like, you know what? You are absolutely correct. So if we start out like this and we think, okay, faking it till you make it, it's none of your business what people think about you. So at the end of the day, why are you trying to fake something that might not be prevalent? But I think a lot of this ends up starting with how we talk to ourselves and how we, it's like, when you look in the mirror, what do you say to yourself? I worked with a woman two companies ago that every time that she would pass her reflection, she'd be like, damn girl, you are sexy. And she would vocalize this. 
every time we walked somewhere. And I stopped her one day. I was like, I love this so much. What are you doing? And she said, if I can't love me for me, who, why would I expect somebody else to think highly of me as well? She said, so every time I look at myself in the mirror or I see myself in a reflection, I remind myself that I know who I am and I'm proud of that person. But she would like vocalize it. So you'd be walking with her having a chit chat conversation and she walks by herself and she's like, damn girl, you look good. And it just, it cracked me up. But so I did a lot of research behind this because this is my, my research nerdiness that comes out. And it's amazing that you can really rewire your brain and you can reestablish neurological connections through these neural pathways that actually help you start seeing yourself differently. And in order to do that, that helps build your own self-confidence. So then you're no longer faking it. So there's like tons of these things. Mel Robbins talks about the high five how like if you give yourself a high five in the morning, like in the mirror, it can actually help start helping you like really amp yourself up for the day because regardless of language, most humans and brains understand like a high five is a symbol that means something great. It's like, yes, you did something well. Um, Other things that I've read about or have tried myself are alarm affirmations. So when you wake up in the morning, what does your alarm look like? Does it say alarm or is it, I'm going to go have an amazing day. And so what does that look like? Most, I mean, literally, if you pull out your iPhone or your Android and you go to your alarms, most of the time it'll just say alarm 5.15 a.m. I encourage people to take out alarm, put something fun for yourself. If you want, you can add a jazzy song, maybe an 80s ballad or whatnot to hop out of bed and be like, I'm taking on today. Let's do this. But then there's other things like I call it tooth, toothbrush talks. When you're brushing your teeth, you give yourself three attaboys for your appearance because we are the most critical on our appearance. And this is where this stuff gets really important when you're working with like children, because these guys are going to grow up this way. So if we can help set their brains right early on, like what are those things? Or when you're washing your hands, give yourself a quick look in the mirror, tell yourself something that you're proud of. Um, You know, a lot of people do these memory jars, like at the end of the week, what was something great that happened? You put it in the note card, you throw it in a jar, you review them when you're in a less than desirable headspace. But there's a lot of things that are like that because words matter. So the words that you say to yourself are the most important. Like for example, over the holiday, you know, a lot of people want to say that they were lazy and that they didn't do anything. They binge watch shows. I prefer to say that I was intentionally rejuvenating myself or uh, like, I just think about, I'm not going to tell myself that I'm lazy. I wasn't being lazy. I was being intentionally restorative because I needed to refill my tank so that I can come back out and refill other people's. And so when we think about those type of scenarios or those type of the verbiage that you use, your brain hears you every single time. And so you can't expect other people to show up for you if you can't pick those words and show up for yourself in that capacity. And so these are the things that if we could start teaching these things younger and applying them throughout our life, you don't, you no longer have to fake it because you know that at the end of the day, if you're sitting on that branch and the branch breaks, you got yourself, you'll just fly away and everything will be fine. And so it's a lot of like coping skills, self-confidence coaching, you know, just a lot of different things that are skill sets that when we look at investing in human capital, how do we actually start doing this and then leading by example to take this into like the next wave of human capital development? I love that. Yeah. I want to, I, I want to do this exercise. The next time that a, a manager comes to me and says, this person is lazy, I'm going to ask them, are they just being intentionally restorative? 
Oh my and gosh, see what they do. <laughs> <laughs> the look oh that God. I get on my like my production supervisor's <laughs> face, I, I I think I, I I'm gonna do that. Yeah, I gotta find I gotta find a way to, to work that into a conversation. So uh, I guarantee they're being intentionally something. <laughs> they're, like, you don't yeah, just show exactly. up to work wanting to be lazy. Like you're absolutely just I don't know what is it quiet quitting. I swear that's like on my LinkedIn. Oh feed my gosh! Okay, you don't like the imposter syndrome thing. I hate quiet quitting. Sure. I just think it's just somebody. It's just a headline grab, whatever. You know, it's just it's it's called people that just don't like what they're doing, or yeah, you know, call it active disengagement, whatever. It's like yeah. this has been happening since you know people decided they didn't want to you know paint this on the the cave wall. Yeah, uh, just because you know, just because Joe told me I got to paint this woolly mammoth on this cave wall, I don't want to do this. Yeah, I feel like we used to just call it RAP, retired in place. Yeah, no matter what, like not being age wise or. Uh, generational demographic at all. It was just, oh, they're RIP, got it. And now we yeah. call it quiet. It's a new trend. It's a trendier word. It's trendier. It's, it's, and it's, words, it's, matter. <laughs> words matter. Words matter. I think it's, it's you know, I, I think that's, you know, inherently something that for me, especially earlier in my career when I was, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, you know, I, I didn't realize how important words were. I didn't really understand the true ripple of, you know, if I say it in this way, or if I use this context, it, whether I'm talking to myself or talking to another person, how big of an impact that can make, um, and 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 sometimes the wrong <laughs> intention of impact. So I think it's really powerful. I do want to, I want to maybe circle around on that a little bit because because you sure. you've talked about you've talked about energy mm-hmm. um, a couple different times, and I think. I think that's kind of that's hard for people to grasp sometimes, right? It's it's like, but we all know it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So how so as we're self reflecting and we're thinking like, yeah, I want to be that. I want that energy. I want to walk in the room and take up a bunch of space in the room. You know, I want people to know I'm there, or or I want to be that. I want to be that calm in the storm that people know that like, you know. I know that my daughter is driving this car for the first time and I am the person that's staring. This might be a real, real world example, but, and I am, I am going to be the calm in the storm, but, but how, like, how should we go about thinking about like, how do we actually define that? Like, how do we think about that in a way that I can like really understand this is the energy I have today. This is the energy I, I, I feel like I should have, or this is my natural energy and it's not coming out. Like, how do we, how do we think about that? How do we actually define that and, and okay. kind of work towards that? Is, is yeah, really the so question. I love this question. So when I teach students, so I end up having, I usually have a lot of freshmen, sophomore in college. When I start to teach, like uh, it's, technically it's a business communications course mm-hmm. that is public speaking. Like how do you actually like learn how to do sales pitches, interviews, et cetera, stuff like that. So I don't have to worry as much. And then this is very, my experience and mine alone, but gender wise, men just do it better. Like they just come into a room and I didn't, I tend to have a lot of athletes. So athletes have a different presence when they walk in, but a lot of it starts with your body mechanics. How you feel about yourself says everything from how you show up from a physical standpoint. So if you think about like to our listeners right now, check your poise right now. I guarantee you almost all of us are slumped over. So I'm going to ask you to take your shoulders, roll them back and down. Now, why do athletes tend to have a better job with this? Because they lift. And if you lift weights, you've done weights with shoulders, back, et cetera, and you lift, your body tends to be more open 
in the chest area and you're not always that concave because we sit over a desk all day and you're curved. Well, your energy comes from what I think it personally comes from like that mid heart area, your mid chestal region. <laughs> there we go. There's your word for the day. But it. if you show up with your shoulders open back and down, you're giving off a different, like you're actually giving out energy to people more so than this closed off effect. And if you think about it from a standpoint, if you, if you can see someone or not, they look more inviting when they have an open chest from like that energy standpoint and how you see someone. If they are all closed off, they're trying to make themselves small. Your energy fields aren't going to be in the same way. And this is kind of when we talk about aura and you've got like the seven different chakras, energy cycles, like there is a true science behind the energy that actually comes off from your body. So if you are hunched over and trying to make yourself small, that's going to be received very differently than somebody that's got an open chest, et cetera. So I encourage people to lift weights because it makes a huge difference in how your body physically holds itself. And that is always step one, because, you know, when you look at, um, there was a Netflix documentary that I watched over the holidays called Schultz, and it's where uh, Jonah Hill interviews his therapist and he talks about how to mitigate depression because a lot of people were dealing with a lot of mental health. And he says that 85% of it is your physicality. So how you show up, what, how much water you put in your body, your nutrition, and how much you move your body. So a lot of our energy absolutely comes from that physical body. So how, it, how you're holding it, what you're doing for it, that's going to change a lot of how people receive you. Then when we look at it from that standpoint, it's also, what is your facial expression? Uh, People are going to decide whether you are a safe person to talk to or an unsafe person to talk to within a third of a second from the moment they see you. This goes back to our homeo sapien brain when we would have different tribes and when you would approach another tribe, are they going to be friend or foe? You had to make a decision very quickly and then you move on to that next level. So as we talked about psychological safety, a lot of this stuff is super hardwired so far back that it's better to understand than to try and change really like the science of evolution from that standpoint. But like, it makes a huge difference. So if you want to be approachable, you know, standing there with a scowl on your face is probably not the best way to do that. But walking in, you know, we know people who have those bright eyes, like little glitter that exists within their eyes where they're like, okay, that's a, that's somebody I want to go talk to. That person looks approachable. They look kind. I like to call it Iowa nice because, you know, <laughs> nice. If you're pulled over with, you know, a flat on the side of the road, we're going to pull over next to you and help because we're Iowa nice. We're approachable. And those things end up making a big difference purely in how you show up. Now, we haven't talked about even uttering a word yet, but yeah. a lot of this, aside from body mechanics, when we talked about like how you dress, if you're not comfortable in the clothes that you're wearing, it doesn't matter if you're wearing a like a, what do people used to say, like a burlap sack or a suit. If you're not comfortable in whatever it is, you're not doing anybody any favors. So this is kind of where when we keep our clothes that are too small for us, we try to squeeze into them and then we're super uncomfortable all day. Everyone else is uncomfortable too, because your energy changes. So again, how you show up for yourself, how do you dress to make yourself feel good? What is that going to look like? Do you feel better in the color green? Do you feel better in the color blue? Paying attention to all of those things that make yourself feel good is exactly how you start sharing that with the world. Because when you feel good about yourself, you're less likely to be in this fake sense of 
this fake mentality projecting a different type of energy based on how you are showing up as yourself. So again, body mechanics, your body language, your facial expression, and how you hold yourself from a physical standpoint when you enter a room. Also, get off your phone. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> thing, simple. most people get awkward when they're going to enter a room and they're, and I think we've all done this. Okay. So like flashback to when we were kids and you're walking into the lunchroom and it's like, oh, where am I going to sit? Who, who can I sit with today? Well, nowadays everybody walks in and they're on their phone. I encourage you the next time you walk into a restaurant or a store or whatever it's going to be, don't be on your phone. Walk in with your chest open, shoulders back and down and walk into that room like you are meant to be here. Most people these days will instantly be on their phone and looking down and they're not engaged. Most people aren't going to want to engage with you right away. So when you're able to walk into a room and take a moment and look around, that's a very different type of energy and confidence that you are possessing when you do that versus floundering around on your phone, trying to look busy or whatever that might be to try and detract from you actually being physically there. So those are some things that when I look at trying, how would I describe energy? I think all of those things really play into it. I love um, it. It's actually like, there's it, actually something to do about that, right? Yeah. Well, it reminds <laughs> like, me I think that's talking a about, uh, you know, our X-Men, if whether, whatever your favorite thing was in the eighties, whether it be X-Men <laughs> or X-Men there and they had their stance or the Ninja Turtles had their stance. Like, Again, that is a very different <laughs> perception when you walk in. Again, that is also showing that open chest. Obviously, the X-Men looked like they worked out. So did the Ninja Turtles. Those guys were pretty ripped. <laughs> but it's not necessarily about that. It's just, again, about how you hold your physical body. And when you enter a room, what does your poise look like? What does your stance look like? Women tend to stand there and cross their legs and shift their weight back and forth. No. Keep your shoulder, keep your feet hip width apart and walk in and just be comfortable. It's always fun for me when we're working with people on how to get them comfortable speaking. People don't like to either they have no idea what to do with their hands or they feel really awkward if you just leave them down by the sides and they get really uncomfortable, even though it doesn't look uncomfortable to the audience. Like the audience isn't really paying attention to that, but the person standing on stage is freaking out because they feel seen. <laughs> it's just thing, It's just those little moments that you think about when you're looking at presence and energy walking into a space. It's, it's uh, yeah, all that. I, I mean, I think that's really, it's really fascinating to think about, you know, the, the, like the perception of energy and what, and, and how people feel about that. I do, by the way, just to kind of nerd out a little bit, like I'm a big, like chakra meditation oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So like, yeah, we could, that we don't have time mm -hmm. for that podcast, but I, I do think like there's, there is some science and it, there's some science around energy. It's a little woo woo. If you're like, like I need to see the data, but, yeah. but it exists. It's just, we just don't necessarily have the mechanism to measure it all the time. Right. Like it's, it's, but it's there. I I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. here's a good, good. Um, here is a good tool that you can use. If you want to know if you can psychologically safely trust someone, if you stand, whether it be near someone or animals are really good at this too your body will either pull you towards them or push you away. So it is really, really, really fun to try this out. And now people are going to get all weird and go like stand in front of their spouse and be like, <laughs> be like pushing me away. But it is like, there's like this internal 
pull and push that it's yourself or whatever. Like I like to call it my inner goddess and I still have her dressed as like my high school cheerleading self. And she's in there like, no, this person is bad. Stay away from them. Or no, you can trust this person. This person is good. And you can actually like, if you pay attention and again, this is like quieting the mind and making sure that you're actually aware, self-aware in this process, you can feel the pull towards people, or you can feel yourself kind of get on that pins and needles where you're like, this does not feel good. So it's very, if you want to take, pay attention to the people that you surround yourself by, you will start to be able to feel those energy balances when you put yourself in that space. Now I want to caveat this and say, please don't go to your in-laws house and say, well, Dr. Claire told me that if you're pushing (laughs) me, I don't need to be around you because I'm not here to fight with you and your in-laws. I'm just here to make you aware of how you feel when you're around certain people, but that's an easy one to go to. (laughs) That's fascinating. I've got all these notes now, like, and, and, this is an audio podcast, but if anybody could see me, she's like describing this energy. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm kind of slouched over. I need to get. <laughs> so, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there are interesting things that we don't touch on enough in life because I feel like we've gotten into such a checkbox mentality of like, okay, this is how you grow into a leader. You do these things. Well, we don't ever talk about like, what are those outliers that set people apart? And these are a lot of those outliers. Like, how do you effectively communicate? Because words are so powerful. How do you showcase like an aura in a way that you are being authentic to yourself? How do you pay attention to energy levels within a room? If you know an energy level is going downhill in a room, how do you, how do you amplify it? Uh, how do you, again, teach self-confidence so that people, we know we've got a great wealth of knowledge that exists within this world and a lot of people that don't know how to articulate it. I was on a call yesterday for a panel that we're going to do for a workers' compensation conference, and we had a quieter gentleman that gave a couple ideas, and I tend to be very bold and outspoken, so I reiterated what he said and just said it in a different way. And they're like, yes, that's a great idea. I was like, well, that was, that was his idea. He's just quieter. So we need to figure out how to do a better job of amplifying those really great ideas and teach people how to be more outspoken. So he and I talked afterwards and I was like, Hey, I totally understood what you meant. If you would present it in this kind of capacity, it's going to come across more concrete and more bold where people are going to hear you. And so giving people that honest feedback, I think is really important too. Uh, Why did they hear you, but they didn't hear me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I we think can about- all win. That's the other thing. Everyone can win in this. This is not a, because, because Kyle and Claire are doing this, they're great. And because Joe and Shayla aren't doing this, they're not like everyone can win in this space. I think that's yeah. something else that we haven't ever focused on before. Either. Absolutely. That abundance mindset, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. Again, that's probably another podcast. So we've got like three podcast series at this point. One pop culture, one about uh, you know chakras, and then another one about uh, yeah about that. Um, but I, I do think you know, it, and especially you know the 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 audience listening to this, like it, in human resources, we get we deal with this a lot. You know, a lot yes. of times we're you know, just because because of the jobs we do, it's not this. It's not always it's not always fun. A lot of times we're we're in a meeting that's not very very positive. A lot of times we are the one that's like taking notes in meetings or, or like we're, or we're on our phones trying to, trying to find answers to questions that are, that, that are getting thrown our way. And it, and it's easy to forget that, you know, that, that we should have some level of executive presence, especially in the role that we're in. And we should be mindful of the energy that we're bringing to our organizations. Cause a lot of people are looking to us to be kind of an example of, of, 
of what good looks like, right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of what you know, and right, wrong, or different. That's just that's just the nature of our jobs. And so, I think all of this is is really important, and um, I think really <laughs> really powerful stuff. And I have like a list, like twenty things I got to go do now. But I really appreciate you sharing. That. <laughs> so I think you, know, you, you use this common vernacular all the time. It takes a village to raise, raise a child. Well, it takes a community to help people grow. And so what are we going to do to make that community feel seen, heard, acknowledged, and valued so that you can help people grow? Because again, when we look at you know the development of human capital, it is now is such a crucial time with you know every industry's got a talent crisis at the moment. We've got such a big disparity among tech from the different generations of understanding. Um, even when we look at the whole socialization, I think sociology moving forward is just going to be fascinating with just such a big disparity from a technological standpoint. And so when we look at all of those facets, how do we really bring it together so that it is a community instilling growth among everyone that's a part of it versus it trying to be these pieced up landscapes that I think that we have historically been developed in and how like this is how you grow in a ladder versus now looking at it from a community helping everyone grow through a lattice effect where people just can, you know, navigate throughout the process and continue their own growth and development to help everybody. Again, going back to like abundance growth mindset. But I think at the end of the day, if you're not growing, you've got the ladder. And I don't believe that humans truly want that for themselves or the people that they surround themselves with. Right. hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, and it's none of your business what people think about you. I love that. Isn't that amazing? I said that to my daughter <laughs> the other day too. She's like, well, that's kind of, oh, that's right. I'm like, yeah, I had somebody yeah. actually, it was screamed at me. And I remember sitting with our HR representative afterwards and I was like, you know, she's right. And our HR representative was like, you know, I'm going to take that one away. I'm going to take that one home and say that to my children. I know we, we joke afterwards, but it was, in the moment I was like, you know what? You are absolutely correct. It's the most freeing thing anyone has ever said to me before. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, well, I had I had uh, aspirations to talk a whole lot about workers' compensation, um, which is also an area <laughs> of expertise. Um, but we are we're close to our the end of our time together. So I I think maybe the next question I do just want to give you an opportunity to maybe talk about your approach to workers' compensation. And, sure. and, and what you are doing to really foster a little bit of a growth mindset and, uh, and change management within that industry. Sure. So workers' compensation, I might, I'm, I am the self-pronounced glitter bomb of work comp because this is a very dreary topic in most people's minds. When we think workers' compensation, it's rules, regulations, people are cheating the system. I don't want to have to deal with this. And I like to think of it as people get injured. It's either going to go under personal health insurance or it's going to be under workers' compensation insurance. The one thing that we can do, especially on the employer side and from the HR landscape, is we can help people have the best possible outcome and we get to control that because it's workers' compensation. And so we can help people through this process. And so I've designed claims models that that end up focusing really on how do we focus on empowering the individual that's been injured to have the most optimal recovery possible. So that is being really being intentional with our words and how we talk about recovery, giving them options because in the workers' compensation system, it is so heavily regulated with compliance and regulations and jurisdictional mandates that there's not a lot of choice. And so we kind of depower humans and we really dehumanize 
we really dehumanize our employees in workers' compensation because we slap a claim number on them. Employers kind of don't get involved, really. It gets kicked over to an insurance carrier or a third-party administrator, and we let those human elements go. And so what I've tried to do over my two decades in workers' compensation, which feels like it was just yesterday that I started, is really take about like an empathy approach to, all right, what has happened to this person? What's the ripple effect? It's not an individual. It's a family. It's impacting a community. And what do we do to better understand their psychosocial issues and figure out what is their fear of the unknown to alleviate it? And so my initiatives this year are really to help train HR and how to better understand workers' compensation so you can use it as a forte in your human capital investment. And also, how do we start training our leadership teams to be well-equipped for, hey, you still got to talk to your person when they're outside of work. Because having a relationship with that injured worker and their direct leader, whatever capacity it is, having that continue throughout the workers' compensation claim is one of the best predictors for somebody having a good outcome. One of the other things to think about when we talk about workers' compensation is everybody always wants to slap fraud on it. I have 15 research studies that can now tell you workers' compensation fraud produced by an employee filing a false claim is 1% to 2%. So we got to stop blaming the people. We got to stop. There's been so <laughs> many studies done on this. Stop blaming the people. It's what we do once they've been injured. How do we take care of them? And really looking at it from that standpoint of what do we do from the employer side of how do we get those direct leaders engaged? How do we make sure benefits are getting issued correctly and following up to follow through to make sure our people are getting like, here's what we're going to do for you. This is what you need to do for us. Keeping those lines of communication open and really teaching people it's not a scary system. We just need to do a better job of, of navigating it. I think it's really important. I, I wish I would have had that 20 years ago when I was trying to stumble through a sure. workers' comp claim as an <laughs> as an you know as an HR professional that yeah. maybe it was like like chapter six in some textbook somewhere you know in school, and then suddenly you're supposed to be an expert. And and um, I just think you're so correct that the, the minute that you take humanity out of it, you've already lost. You're you're yeah. you're, you're fighting uphill. And you know going back to what we talked about earlier they're going to be able to sense that energy. Yes. Right? If they are now an enemy or, or, yeah. or, they, or it's a point of conflict or there's questioning around fraud, typically from an insurance company, uh -huh. uh, what, a, what an awful approach to make sure that somebody feels like you're taking care of them. Yeah, and the system is, you know, there's so many parameters that go into this that are very jurisdictional. They're very jurisdictional yeah. driven. So, yeah. you know, the states are going to mandate what they're going to mandate we can help people better understand that. So when we see people, I hate when I see people send letters that are like under Iowa code, you know, 8539, this is what you qualify for. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? Because I can tell you, like I've had a work, I've had a couple workers compensation claims, freak accidents in my life. And I've gotten that set and I've been in this space. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, there's no <laughs> way that this is, you know, we, we learned to write for con consumption. And we're supposed to write between like a sixth and eighth grade level. I guarantee you those statutes are not written at a sixth to eighth grade level, but we've got to think about like, who's your intended audience. And if you really start executing your programs with a compassionate lens, helping that person feel seen, heard, acknowledged and valued and that they gen you genuinely want them to be back part of your team, it makes all of the difference. And I personally believe based upon all the research that I've done and the companies that I have been privileged to work with, 
One bad workers' compensation claim can absolutely destroy your organizational behavior and your organizational culture within your environment, whatever that is. Because you can, it's just, you know what, if you show me the five people that that person hangs out with, I'll show you where your next work cop claim is coming from. (laughs) Yeah. I think you said it, you said it really well when you said it's a family event and it's, and that, that could be work family. That could be their family. That could, yeah, there, there's a ripple. Um, and I've seen it, unfortunately. And when we treat people with respect and kindness and do what's best for that injured human being, amazingly, they get back to work faster. They heal quicker. I mean, it's just amazing. If you treat people the way you would like to be treated and we go back to kindergarten and playing in the sandbox, amazing (laughs) costs go down. I mean, it's litigation drops. It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have, you know, I, I encourage anybody that deals with workers comp or, or has dealt with this and wants to deal with it better in the future, uh, you know, check, check out some of the work that, uh, that Dr. Musselman has done. And, and, and it's, it, it's, I think it's, it's the way that we should be thinking about these things. And it, and it certainly fits the premise of putting humanity back in the workplace. So, uh, with that being said, uh, I, we could keep talking for another couple hours. I'm sure <laughs> we've got to record those next three episodes, but, uh, okay. I'm going to shift gears and go into the rebel HR flash round. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I think HR needs to rebel in really pushing human capital, human, yeah, human capital development forward by focusing on the soft skills to create leaders within and leaders within the followership. Because while we're going to have these different designs and different hierarchy or whatnot, we all know that buy-in is going to be important to really move organizational behavior forward in whatever organization that you're in. And so if we can start investing in some of these soft skills, focusing on putting humanity back, teaching these confidence skills, going back into how do we teach people to stand up for themselves so that they can challenge the status quo. They can be a rebel or an instigator, but in doing so because they're challenging the way we've always done things before creating these psychologically safe environments by letting people be authentically them. And I think that's where this rebellion comes in where just because we've always done it this way, doesn't mean it's the right way to do it and does definitely doesn't make it uh, helpful moving forward. And I did say this when we went into the pandemic, if you were not an empathic leader going into the pandemic and you sure, sure weren't one when you were coming out, you weren't going to make it. Like you absolutely, if you do not have empathy as a leader of any capacity, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't. I mean, if if we learned anything throughout this process, it is really trying to seek to understand what we can do to help people thrive wherever they're at. And then how do we help them grow and move forward? Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, in a, maybe a, maybe a, a weird silver lining to the pandemic is some of those leaders got exposed. Yes. And and now that and yeah. and now we, you know, it's kind of like you you've sh- shown a light on that. Yeah. And and how and how critical that is and I think you know like you said if you learn and grow and learn from that as a as a leader um and and make efforts to improve, you know, you'll be fine, but if you don't, you know, good luck to you. Yep. I don't want to work for you. Nope. <laughs> and you know the best part about I think all of this and all these shifts that have occurred is that it it's really come down to the I don't want to work for you. I won't. So here's my two week notice. I'm out. Or yeah. even if you if you get that anymore, I don't know if people are still doing it. Depends. Depends. <laughs> depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. And I Usually. think that we will continue to see that in the younger generations. I think that Gen Z is definitely. Oh, you're not going to do this? Okay. Well, bye. And it's 
much lower than the two to three years that you've seen in millennials being in their positions. Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree with that. I think it's like, it's just where we're at. It's kind of the new normal. Yeah. All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Uh, so my doctoral dissertation, um, I had one of the best content experts I could possibly have. And she actually runs LinkedIn HRs behind the scenes on that. Her name is Dr. Chris Wildermuth. Highly recommend you follow, you listen. She's always on the front learning lines of adult learning and organizational development. Always has some really cool things. I've learned so much from her. And that is absolutely somebody that I would be giving a follow to. Awesome. Um, she really helps me understand employee engagement because that was what the, that was what I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand why people stay in jobs that I could never do. My dad is an end loader operator, has been since he was 18 years old. He's 72, 73, 74, still working, doesn't want to retire because he, he has a sense of community with his people. And I was like, all right, I want to dive into this. I want to know why he's so engaged after all these years, like what makes you get up and want to go to work in the morning? And so that she helped me really dive into that research. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, last question. How can our listeners connect with you and, and learn more? Sure. Um, you can absolutely hit me up on LinkedIn. Always like to share a lot on LinkedIn. Um, I also have a website, uh, dr. You can always email me at Claire at dr. And I look forward to hearing any questions, comments, feedback. You got it. Absolutely. We'll have, so uh, we'll have all that in the show notes. We'll have some other uh, content and resources in the show notes. Open up your podcast player, uh, check it out. Certainly worth a follow. Um, And again, glitter and sparkles on LinkedIn. I mean, come on, that's just, that's the best. (laughs) So it's just been an absolute joy. Appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you and, uh, and really appreciate the content that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.